get dirty on here, it's up to you. Okay, here we are, people. Welcome to Quinspiracy. My name is Anthony Quinn. Yes, you know who I am. But let me tell you, I have a very special guest right now. I have somebody I've been trying to chase down. This guy is across the country. He's all over the place. Perry. Perry Kurtz, are you there? Yes, I am, as far as I can tell. <laughs> Welcome, Perry Kurtz. Absolutely, man. Let me tell you, people. This guy, I don't even know if we can do it in one podcast. I don't know if we could do it in five podcasts. <laughs> This guy has like so much to talk about. He knew so many famous people. He's got a billion stories and he actually knows about stuff I talk about in this podcast. So I don't know, brother. It's going to be a rough one. <laughs> well, I will try to be concise for your listeners. <laughs> no, nah, man. I was a professional comedian and speaker for 46 years. I tend to drone on and on and on, and then I extend it a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, um, so, you've been, I've, I've seen him, I've seen Perry on Zoom mics, I've seen him on some Zoom shows and stuff, or at some chat rooms, and um, right. we, we got to talking, and, um, you know, this guy, you said 46 years, right? Started in 1974, never had a day job. Wow. Holy mackerel. Wow. And I'm telling you, man, 1974, those were some interesting times, man. Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think people realize how hardcore it was back then. You Were you in Philly at that time? Was I in who? Were you in Philly at that time or you were in California? I was in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, I was Coming out of being a commercial artist, I was actually an art director of a religious publishing house. And my job was to read the Bible and illustrate it in full color, 3D, with watercolors. Because we didn't have CGI. So I had to read the Bible and make it look like it was a photograph. No outlines. Wow. Everything had to be extremely realistic. The light source was always from the same place. You know, there was no uh, reflecting shadows or anything like that. And I was making a lot of money. Wow. But my life, I've only had two goals in my whole life. One was to be an artist, which I did. And the other one was to be a comedian. And I decided, I've, I've always been funny. And that started <laughs> when I was two years old. My father was five foot ten, I was about four foot ten when I was ten years old, and he was, um, I'm guessing he was bipolar, he died about ten, twelve years ago, and uh, he was, people hated him so much, my brother said that two of his friends tried to pee in my father's grave. Wow, oh my god. Yeah. Well, and, yeah and your father, was, he wasn't a comic? <laughs> no, no, he was a salesman. Okay. But he could never keep his job because of his anger. And my so, mother... So almost a comic. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was very funny. Very gregarious, as they say. Okay. All and right. my mother was a little tiny woman who back in 1962 took me to a women's lit, lit march in downtown Philadelphia where women were protesting and women had, they had their rights. and They wow. were taking off the years. 
And wow. over many, many years, she took me to many feminist movements, and I grew up to be a feminist, but she was a little tiny woman. Okay. And my father was almost a foot taller than her. And wow. he was physically abusive to me. Oh, my he broke God. My nose. He broke my nose six times. Oh, my God. Wow. Yep. And uh, one time, uh, it was the middle of winter. We lived in what they call row homes. I don't know if your listeners are aware of those. That's an entire block where all the houses are attached together. And the only windows are in the front and the back. And they all have a common wall. And it was snowing. And the snow was so bad that we couldn't get out of the house. Because it covered up the front door. My father threw me out of the third story window into the snow to dig us out. Wow. Oh, my God. And, yeah, and he would come home from work and having a bad day, and i go, hey, Dad, or hi, Dad, or whatever I would say. I don't remember that long ago. I guess I just said hello. I don't think we had hay back in those days. <laughs> there was no hay. There was no hay in Philadelphia. <laughs> well, the first place I heard the word hay was in South Carolina, and that was around 2002 when I and my family moved out there. Wow. People started saying hey, and then it slowly moved across the country. Hmm, but that's he interesting. But come home and i say, hey, Dad, what happened today? And he goes, shut up, and he would just punch me in the face. Wow. There were, times, there were times when I would wake up in the closet with a bloody nose. One time I woke up behind the couch. He punched me, knocked me out, pulled the couch out, and pushed the couch back on top of me. My God. And... Yeah, and I was so afraid of him, I never said anything to my mom. Mm. Well, one day, he was yelling at my little brother, who was four, and I jumped in between them. I said, why do you got to yell at him? He said, do I have to take off my belt? And I looked at him and said, I'd appreciate it. It's smaller than your hand. Wow. But he laughed, laughed hysterically, and he walked out of the room. And something clicked inside me and said, if people laugh, they're not angry anymore. So I started becoming funny, and I learned how to do what I call uh, relative humor, where you make a joke about something that's going on. Like if you're on the phone with somebody and they're eating, you're chewing, you say, what are you eating? And they automatically laugh. Or you run into a friend of yours and they're wearing a red shirt, and you go, oh my God, red's my favorite color. Is that why you wore that? Boom, you got to laugh. And I just started becoming funny. And it was just a natural thing. You know, I can identify with that, man, because of this pandemic. I'm like doing 60 seconds at the dollar store, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm hitting anybody I can with material. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, it's almost 9 o'clock. I guess you're ready to go. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> oh, my God. So, that, so at a young age, you found out that you can solve stuff by making people laugh. Yeah, and I also found that by being funny, I was very, very popular. Yes, absolutely. Especially, yep. Especially with the girls. The girls love me. <laughs> and is that a good thing? Yeah. You think so? <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. I don't know. Sometimes I'm not sure, Perry. <laughs> well, I started having sex when I was 12 years old. I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> And this is a really bizarre story. Um, when I grew up, we had this 
light brown wooden box that had an AM radio in it with a knob that you turn, no buttons, and a turntable. And in the bottom were a bunch of LPs. Oh, and yeah. And they were Go ahead. Mom's Mabry and Red Fox and a Jewish woman named Belle Barth. And they were all dirty, dirty jokes. And these are my parents. And I started listening to this stuff. And then one day my mother came down and says, oh, you like Belle Barth? I said, yeah, she's really funny. Uh, one of my favorite jokes of hers is this, this woman was so dumb, she was treading water with her boyfriend, and she said to him, you mean to tell me I'll really drown if you take your finger out? <laughs> so I go. grew up with all this sexual humor. And yeah. then in sixth grade, I had heard that Joanne and Audrey Levine were having sex. And so was their cousin, Rhonda Levin. Oh my so God. I threw a party with me and Steve and Richard in my basement. And the parents dropped them off at the back door in the alleyway and they came in. But one of the guys didn't show up. Richard never showed up. So the girls just undressed us. They just pulled our pants off, got us excited, and climbed on us like we were a horse and just rocked back and forth and then made little squeal noises and jumped off and went to the other guy. And each one of the girls did us each twice. Oh, my and God. We didn't, know, we didn't even know what we were supposed to do. We Jesus. were hysterical. Man. We, naked. we didn't know that there was supposed to be some culmination at the end of this process. I thought you said you were going to we read were, Mad Magazine or something. Uh, <laughs> might as well. With my ears, I might as well have been. And so they, uh, they go upstairs. And they asked to use the phone. And in those days, the phone was attached to the wall. Absolutely. And it yeah. had a dial on it. And you had what was called a party line. Oh, I remember so the party I, lines, yeah. Yeah, so I picked it. For people who don't know, that's when you would share your phone line with somebody else. And I picked it up. I said, hi, can we use the phone? Can you, can you bang on the wall when you're done? And so uh, Joanne called her father, I guess. And he came and picked him up. And then Steve and I just sat there looking at each other. And my father comes walking down the stairs and goes, did you guys just have sex? And we looked at each other and I go, I think that's what it was. <laughs> and and wow. he looks at me and he goes, well, did you, you know? And I looked at Steve and I went, no, I don't know. What are you talking about? And that's when he explained that there was a... Uh, uh, a process at the end of making <laughs> sex where the man um, shares his love with the woman. I'm trying to be clean. Yes, no, you don't have to be clean. You can say whatever you want, man. I mean, I try to, um, you know, I try to allude to things, but we can, you know, I, we can swear. Listen, you have carte blanche. Say whatever you want, man. <laughs> All right, well, I didn't know I was supposed to blow a load. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, so he says, did you guys just have sex down there? He says, I thought so. I said, what do you mean? He says, I can smell it up here. And I had no <laughs> idea. Wow. Your dad was so I, angry he could smell sex. <laughs> I could. I had no idea what he meant for like five years. And so I go into school three days later, and the whole school's talking about me and Stephen having sex with, with uh, the, 
the Levines and their cousin. Did you get called in the principal's um, office? No. Because oh. we didn't do it in real property. We did it in my house. Yeah, but sometimes they would have like interventions with parents and stuff. and They, they didn't do that back then. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. I remember some kids, like, ki I remember I kissed a girl one time and our parents got together and they were, we were real young, though, so. Well, that's only because it was you kissed a girl, so <laughs> they were going to make sure didn't catch anything. You know, like, type three. Yes, yes, you're right, dude. You are right again. So, so because I, the, the people at school knew I was having sex, other girls were hitting on me. We didn't call it hitting. Um, they were instigating. So you were like and chewing bubblegum, riding on your skinny skateboard, and like girls were hitting on you? <laughs> skateboard? We didn't have skateboards. We had roller skates in those days. Oh, That's roller skates. It. So you were roller, skating, only, you were roller skating around, chewing bubblegum while chicks hit on you? <laughs> well, no, you couldn't skate in school. But in school, the girls would come up, and they would like back up on me, and they would rub on me. Um, I got dragged into the bathroom. One time I got dragged into the uh, cleaning closet with mops and brooms and stuff oh like that. Oh, my God. Wow. And I even had sex at my bar mitzvah. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a... Hey, I could understand that. That's a that's a pretty big day for you, right? Although you're still... Yeah, at, you're only like 12, right, at your bar mitzvah? At my bar mitzvah. Me and Adele, and I'm not going to say her last name because she's probably listening. Sure, that's if she's still alive. Uh, <laughs> we went into the side room, and we're going at it, and all of a sudden, my father bangs on the door. And I go, what? He goes, pull it out, wipe it off, and get out here. We're taking your movies. <laughs> wow, cool. Yeah, it was, it was almost like you were a trucker that worked for your dad or something. <laughs> well, my parents were very lackadaisical about sex. As I grew up, I used to have parties in the basement and I would have other couples over and we would be having orgies. We'd pull all the cushions off the couches and people would be having sex on the floor. And you know, I go, okay, who is that? Is that Murray that came? Who came? Who, who was that? And we didn't care. Murray's back. Murray's back's hurting today. He didn't come. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then we moved into what was called a semi-detached ranch home. Oh my God. Now, a ranch home is a single base was considered a single home in those days. But this you shared one wall, but it was two floors. And downstairs was the laundry room and the storage room and that led out to the front of the house in the garage and a recreation room. And, and that was the orgy. Down there. <laughs> and I had parties and orgies. And I had a girlfriend when I was 18. She was 16. And this is how cool my mother is. Wow. We're down there. We're going at it. And my mother knocks on the door. And I go, yeah. And she goes, listen, I got to do some laundry, but I won't look. She's, and I'm, and we're, we're laughing. And she says, I'll keep the laundry basket in front of me so I won't see anything. Wow. So she just slipped on the light. Maybe she thought you guys were just kissing or something, no? No, no. She knew no. there was a full-on orgy going on? Oh, yeah. Well, no, it was just me and me and my girlfriend. Oh, okay. 
But right. as she walks by, she says, listen, you want me to wash your clothes? I said, what? She said, well, you're not wearing them. I said, you said you weren't looking. She says, I couldn't help it. And I said, no, it's all right. She goes into the laundry room, closes the door, doesn't want to knock. She says, okay, I'm coming out. I'm really not looking. I'm covering my eyes. And she goes upstairs. Now, my father, he would just bang on the door and come down. And he, one time, me and uh, my girlfriend were doing it, and I had her legs over my shoulders. <laughs> and he just walks up to the couch and says, oh, hi, listen, Harry, do me a favor. There's some tires in the garage. When you get done, could you put them in my car? I said, okay. And he says, okay, bye. And he just walks upstairs like nothing was dude, even going on. Dude, I'm seeing a web series here, man, the Perry Chronicles, man. <laughs> I'm serious. Or, I have so many stories. My life has never been normal. But it's you know I, mean, I, I agree with that. Mine neither. Mine neither. Mine hasn't either. Um, but man, no, that's interesting. It's like a wonder years with orgies. <laughs> well, that was the beginning. Um, okay. I moved into my own apartment after a while when I was twenty-one with my girlfriend, and that's in the day of Quaaludes. Oh, that Quaaludes were big back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They oh made a little bit God, of a comeback they, they, for a while, but then they were ne they were huge back then. They were called leg spreaders. Quaaludes is a hypnotic painkiller. Yeah, it doesn't really eliminate the pain, but it makes your brain not feel it. And so, people that were on Quaaludes would punch themselves in the leg or bounce off walls and shit like that. And so, in my first apartment. With Wendy, I was 21, she was 19. Um, I put two layers of that foam rubber carpet padding. You ever see the foam rubber carpet padding? That yes, goes yes. The carpet? Yep. It's got like squiggles on it. Yes. All right, well, I put two layers of that on the back of my front door so that my friends could bounce off the door without hurting themselves. <laughs> But no, yeah, the the quaaludes. That's why they when they say you were looted, it was like you were numb, kind of. You were just out of it. Yep, yep. Yeah, man. And it, it took away your inhibitions. Yeah. And so it was used to have sex with people. So <laughs> I was having a lot of people over, and when I got out of art school, I got a job as an art director. Started out at around, I think I made like seventy or eighty thousand in the first year. Wow, now, back then that was that a lot of money. Five. Yeah, multiply that times five. That's what somebody said it would be. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. really well. I had a big fucking three-bedroom apartment. I had one bedroom that was just for growing marijuana plants. You're my man. All these You're my man, piles absolutely. Of, piles of vermiculite to mix with the dirt to make sure it breathed well and all this other stuff. And I would have my friends over. And, and I perlite, have, and I perlite. <laughs> right, right. And I had a display cabinet that I bought at a, a, a tobacco store, as they called them. These are the display cabinets. They're, they have chrome sides and they're glass, and they have different shelves with different types of pipes on them. Yeah. Well, I found one where it was on a track, and if you held the button, it different levels would come up and rotate around in front of you. Wow. So I had that in my living room. Nice. And we were all in the smoking pot back then. And 
I, you know, I, I was the party house because I was making a lot of money. Okay, so let me ask you a real question real quick. Okay, so a lot of people say pot was so cheap back then, but it, was, it wasn't that great. You get a garbage bag for 20 bucks or whatever. So how was the pot back then compared to now? It wasn't great, right? Twigs, stems, seeds, and some pot. It was Mexican. It was mostly Mexican back then, I think. Oh, yeah. Colombian gold was like number one. Yeah, yeah, it Colombian gold and, and Thai weed back then. Thai weed was, oh, Thai was weed awesome. Was great. Yeah. That was a whole other thing. But you can get a pound of Colombian gold, which is a brick, for about $75. Yeah. Okay, so that was, yeah. All right. But sometimes you would just get it and it would be all leaves, right? Like pot or no? Very rare you get a lot of leaves. Okay. All you right. get bugs, but you had to really pick them apart and pull the twigs out of there. Okay. All but right. pot was cheap, but nothing, nothing like it is now. I would say pot was maybe a sixth of the quality that it is now. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's come a long way. It, it can you be dangerous. And get a buzz. It can be dangerous if people don't have a tolerance, but I mean, it doesn't take long to get a tolerance. <laughs> we know that, right? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so, I became an art director. It was a religious publishing house. And when I first started out, I was doing labels for these companies where they would send me sketches of what they wanted. And I had to do the finished art to make these labels print. Then, the uh, senior art director split and I moved up and my job was to read the Bible every day and in full color illustrate Jesus and all of his cronies as if it was a photograph with watercolor paints. Oh my God. So you're, 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 you're a talented I artist then. Yeah, I, when I was 10 years old they took me down to the principal's office because I had copied a picture of a robin that was on the bulletin board in front of me with crayons and smeared the crayon to actually mix the colors. And they had never seen anything like that. And it just started one day. It's just like, boom. I was suddenly had this amazing ability to copy photographs. And then I was doing it with you know, pencil drawings and they had me evaluated by a, a child psychologist. And they said, well, you just have the talent. Does anybody ask my mother, does anybody in his family have artistic talent? And my mother said, yeah, his grandfather was great at painting and drawing. So that's where I got it. Mm. And so I had to illustrate the Bible. Well, my last day, which followed, I think, eight or nine days working in a row at about 10 to 12 hours a day, nonstop, um, illustrating Jesus. I went home and I was taking a shower and as I was washing the soap out of the back of my head, standing facing away from the shower nozzle, I opened my eyes and there's Jesus, full color, 3D, breathing with a stake through each one of his wrists. His legs are crossed on the tub with a stake through his feet and blood coming down from his hands and his legs, those three paths of blood making one path of blood going between my legs. Wow. Now, 
My friends were partying in the living room. They're all stoned as fuck. I think we might have been doing I might have done some acid. I don't know. Okay. Uh, I don't remember. And I laughed because I thought it was one of my friends. I said, oh my God, come on, guys. And I smashed my head backwards into the shower nozzle. And I woke up on the floor laying there naked in a pool of blood with all of my friends standing over me. Are you okay? What happened? What'd you do to your head? And I had this flap on the back of my head like a, a two-inch piece of skin that I had ripped off. Oh. It wound up being like 27 stitches. And I saw a doctor at the hospital. He came and said, oh, now they tell me you, you saw something weird. And I said, yeah, I saw Jesus. So I had to explain that I was drawing Jesus all day and that was my job. He said, well, what happens when you relax? You had a hallucination in your brain, which was seeing what you saw in the shower got pushed out of your brain. It's almost like your brain said, I've had enough of this. And it was kicked out. So, do you, so you do you believe him? What you've been saying all day. Do you believe that explanation? Yes, I do. Okay, good. Because you're Jewish, right? Yeah, but I'm a bad Jew. Like the other okay. night. Um, but I'm saying was Jesus still isn't your boy. He's still not your guy, right? Well, I I used to babysit for him when I grew up. I'm really old, <laughs> and he was, he was a good kid. But I I, I learned don't give him a, a never give him a jug of water. <laughs> And him and his friends are all drunk. That's right. And then the other problem is I could never get him into the bathtub. You know, he would not. So let me talk about this real quick. Some of the religious um, people, we'll call them religious people. Okay, we'll be nice to them for now. <laughs> there are some of the Christians I know. Some of the Christians I know, or this one Christian dude I know. He swore that when they say wine in the Bible. Um, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, the all, all, all right. the books. Yeah. That they that they really mean grape juice. That there was no like wine, and I was like, dude, that's bullshit. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're gonna follow somebody that for grape juice? I don't know. I mean, I don't remember that fact. I don't remember that far back. I do remember <laughs> when I used to babysit Moses. <laughs> Wow. He was always trying, to, always trying to get his friends to go somewhere. Come on, guys, <laughs> follow me. Let's go. We're going over here, you know. And I kept telling him, don't bring sticks in the house. I didn't know that he could turn them into snakes. And then I went to bathe him one time, and the water in the tub turned red. It separated, and Philistines came out of a wall into my bathroom. Wow. Do you have any idea you know how hard it is to kill up? Clean up after a bunch of Philistines. <laughs> Those darn Philistines. So also, there's no there's no other comedians I know of in the country using that word. So so real quick, real quick. Um, one thing I when I was started talking to you, you were talking about um, a lot of like um, you've had uh, some paranormal experiences. You have a UFO story. So let's let's delve into that real quick because you know there's a lot to talk about. You know you've known a lot of famous people and stuff, and I want to talk about that too eventually. Um, but let's I want I want to talk about we had talked about ghosts. Okay, now mm-hmm. a lot of people are telling me that ghosts aren't real and that um, it's a manifestation of our brain. Um, it's like a coping thing when people see ghosts. So, so let's hear your story. Well, I've heard that people see ghosts and it's really, you know, thoughts they have. 
and they it's it's like the hallucination of me and Jesus that they they broadcast it out. Yep, and that's what they did. I know that I was at a friend's house, uh, her apartment, and I had a lot of friends back in Philly. Um, I was the party guy. I was usually the guy that had the marijuana, and I was invited to the party because I was funny. Oh, Barry's here. We're going to laugh now. Blah, 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 blah. Dang, dang. And she was talking how her father used to live in this apartment. And he was killed. And then she took over the apartment. But she still sees him once in a while. And I said, really? She said, yeah, once in a while I'll see him in the bedroom. Or I've even, even seen him in the kitchen cutting up fruit. And I went, okay. And then I went to leave and I opened up the hall closet. And there was a guy standing there just looking at me. And I slammed the door and I opened it again and he was gone. And I went and I described the guy to her and she showed me a picture. And it was the same fucking guy. That was the dude. Okay. All right. So... That's the, only, that's the only ghost I've seen. As far as UFOs, when I was coming, I was at uh, a boys camp called SDF, Samuel G. Friedman, it was for uh, poor Jewish boys. Uh, <laughs> you, you paid by, based on your income. So it was real poor. Uh, we, you know, we didn't have air, we didn't, nobody had air conditioning back in those days. You were lucky if you had a box fan in your bunk. And um, we were coming back from dinner, and we were walking up to the hill, which is where the seniors were. And we hear this whooshing noise. And we look up, and we see a V shape of flying objects. They were all disks, and they all seem to have rotating lights around them. And I'm trying to think how many there were. There's one, two, three... Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I think there was like thirteen. I think there was like six in each row, and then the one leader. And they were moving on, and fifty people looked up and saw that, and we all heard the whooshing noise as it came over the hill. And then it like just suddenly turned and went the other way and took off straight up into the air and they all disappeared. And then like four or five days later, there was a write up in the uh, Collegeville newspaper that a couple hundred people had seen this. Okay. Uh, That sounds like a pretty typical UFO um, sighting. Um, so let me ask you a question. First, I want to ask you about the ghost. Um, well, you just ask me a question. Stop <laughs> saying, let me ask you a question, because then you're asking a question. Just ask it, goddammit. <laughs> you're the only one that can say that to me, okay? You're yep. it. You're <laughs> if you had gun to your head, okay? Gun to your head. Yeah. Was it a ghost? Was it yeah. a ghost? Somebody that died and came back? It was, it was definitely her father. There's no question it was the man. Um, he wasn't completely solid. He was like sort of translucent. 
I could sort of see, so, see through him to the coat and the vacuum cleaner in back of him. Okay, so so what some people what some people are saying now is that it's it's multi dimensional stuff, and that that beings from other dimensions can read your mind and manifest things out of your mind. Yeah, but they got to have a reason. What would this guy's reason be? Because we were having a party in his old apartment? I don't know. I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's just, I'm just, um, it's good. It's it's a great, it's a great story. And, uh, you know, you seem very convincing. So I appreciate that. Let me ask you about the UFOs. Um, again, gun to your head. Are they from outer space? The like, way they disappeared, the way they took off, and I have thought about it, and scientists that lived in their era who all had horn rimmed glasses uh, and black <laughs> frames. They had pencil protectors. Uh, <laughs> and their hair was parted on the side. That's what they all look like back then. <laughs> they all came to the same conclusion that they couldn't have taken off that way and maneuvered the way they did because we didn't have anything on Earth that had that kind of power or uh, available. And, and what year was that? Sense. What year was it? I was. I was 18, so I was born in 51, so that was 69. So it was like no, 1970. So maybe 67. Okay. All right. So, I mean, what they're saying is, is that they had, a lot of people are saying they had technology. They had UFO technology at that time, that the Nazis had it, the Nazis had um, alien technology and stuff, so... Um, I'm not, listen, I, 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 I believe you. And I think that there's a good chance it could be, I want it to be space aliens, Perry, you know, but there's just so much bullshit out there. Yeah. You know, there's people that fake stuff and then there's these deathbed confessions and they kill it. They kill it for everybody. So, yeah. and you know, when you're, when you're dealing with countries and power struggles and militaries, it seems a little easier for me to believe that it's some secret, you know, military thing or something. And they're saying even joined with the aliens. So I don't, they're saying crazy stuff now, man. I mean, <laughs> we don't even well, have... Go ahead. Don't forget there are a lot of people that want other people to believe what they want them to believe, you know? They try to motivate the masses to say, well, oh, well, they're saying this, this, this. That must really be it. And there are other people that are debunking saying it's not possible. I personally don't remember anything from that time period that had that type of maneuverability and speed. Yeah. Ever. Well, well they say... In the paper. And I watch TV all the time. I grew up yeah. watching uh, uh, The Twilight Zone. They always say that... They always say that... Everything. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. TV back in those days was black and white. We didn't even have No, I had black and white TV too. I was born in 73. So, I mean, you know, growing up I had, I had black and white TV. Um, but, um, you know, they just, they say that, you know, there's like, um, 
There's a, did you ever hear of Valiant Thor? You ever hear that story about the guy? No. Supposedly there's a guy named Valiant Thor who came down from the Federation and he had White House clearance for three years. There's pictures of the guy. There's pictures of the guy. And I don't know. It's just there's so much. They're saying all this stuff about all the religions, all the ancient texts are about aliens. And back then, Perry... Um, like, all this UFO stuff was taboo, you know? And now they're just, it's everywhere. So I don't know what to believe sometimes, man. You know? Well. Go ahead. I never heard, uh, never heard that story. And, and who was the Federation? Was that a space agency? Supposedly it was like, it was like Earth? a Federation of Planets. And he was here because he was worried about our nuclear technology. He wanted oh. us, he wanted, Valiant Thor wanted everybody to disarm all the nukes. Oh, I knew that guy. His name was Larry. <laughs> so, so I don't know. Um, and then, you know, they tie it in. They say like, they even say JFK got killed because of the UFO information. Because he was going to give it to Russia. I mean, just everything. Oh, man. <laughs> I heard that JFK got killed because he was into helping black people. And the racists didn't want him freeing slaves or giving them their you know, rights or anything. The, and dude, so they had him killed because they didn't want to, him to do that. They're saying, they're saying, I watched this terrible ancient alien show. And they're saying that Abraham Lincoln didn't write the Emancipation Proclamation that it was mystics that got the information from aliens. <laughs> this, oh, my God. <laughs> this is on History Channel, dude. I'm not writing this, Perry. <laughs> Look, if people are buying the book, then they're selling it. Yeah, but I, I don't... Can you just say... I, I don't know, man. I mean, isn't there any kind of journalistic integrity, dude? You just generalize and lie about everything? I don't know. It, it's... Well, look, people read fiction, you know? Yeah. There's no. stories and books about ancient civilizations, about uh, interplanetary civilizations, and people read it. And I'm sure that there are some people that read it and go, this guy was there. This guy was on the planet. He was on the planet, you found him, you know? And okay. they want so to believe this. People, so, this is the thing with religion, and I'm not a religious person, but I think it serves a purpose if it makes you feel good and it, and it gives you a purpose and a direction. Absolutely. And it has a reason. So absolutely. I think people believe what they want to believe, and even if it's insane, there are some people that are so whacked out that they're going to say, yeah, and then they're going to tell their friend who's not that whacked out going to tell it to his friend who's like basically normal and he's going to say well David told Arnold who told me about this who told Sandy and I believe them so 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 okay so so the abduction stories there dude there's thousands of people that say they've been abducted call 10 people yeah. you know and try to get them to fucking agree about anything <laughs> all right well first of all she got him he got into my car willingly. <laughs> All right? All right, okay. I didn't help her in, and it, it was electric block. She could have gotten out when she wanted. <laughs> um, 
tried to get me drunk, and I was coerced. I was not <laughs> planning on having sex with her or her two friends, but they were in the car already. No, um, the abduction stories, there's so much on that. It's hard to not accept it as reality. There are so many people that have these extremely vivid memories. Um, what was his name? There, I had a friend who swore that he was abducted. And one time we were sitting at one of our many parties and, you know, when you smoke a lot of pot and you have a lot of parties, that's what you do. <laughs> and he went into unbelievable detail of, to the point of, uh, you know, aside from the fact that they had the big round heads like they always draw, and they had the, the eyes that didn't blink, and little round mouths, and long fingers, that he went into the point of describing what their breath smelled like when they exhaled. Wow. Was it good? Um, yeah, he said actually it was. <laughs> but he said one of, them, one of them was talking to the other one, and they looked at him because he was trying to get out of his shackles and they looked at him and told him to stay still and he wouldn't and he didn't go and said stay still you will hurt yourself and he breathed right in his face wow and, oh my god uh, I could use some alien yeah, breath right now man <laughs> yeah there is something called that isn't there alien breath <laughs> I don't know now there is man after yeah. they hear this podcast yeah so but here's the he described it to such a level of waking up in the shift and um, they put a like a saucer like a, a, an oval saucer over him and it glowed and he fell asleep and he woke up and he was kind of groggy and then they unshackled him and then one of them touched his neck with a metal device and the next thing he knew he was back on earth and he woke up and he was in the field like he blocks from his fucking house. Wow. That's... You know, and how do you tell somebody, oh, well, you're making this up? He had so much detail. We were all like, okay, all right, okay. And he was <laughs> never the same after that. He was only uh, any loud noises <clears throat> or bright lights. Wow. Freak him the fuck out. Oh, oh, so so loud noises and bright lights freaked them out. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. That I don't hear that much. That I don't hear as much. There was a local woman here. Um, her name's Linda Zimmerman, and she wrote uh, a book. She's got a lot of um, you know, I live I live Rockland County, not too far away from the city, and um, you know, I went to see her at the library, man, and the place was packed. It was packed. Yeah. She has thousands of accounts. Thousands of people that contacted her personally. I read her book. And it's like Bob from Pine Bush or Bob from Montgomery. Places that I know. And you think that she's not even using their last name. So are they lying for first name credibility? You know? <laughs> I'm the Bob. I don't know. You know? Now, was she abducted or she just wrote the book? She she lost time. She she believes in triangles and squares. Um, okay. 
And you saw, did you see triangles? No. Oh, you saw circles, right? You saw saucers? Yeah, we yeah. saw saucers. You saw saucers, were, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so people see saucers. Um, not perfectly round, but slightly elongated. They were more like ovals. Interesting. Yeah, she says all kinds of shapes, um, but she saw a triangle, and she lost two hours of time. There's people that have lost uh -huh. days. Not, not many people days. It's usually hours. And sometimes people are starting to realize daydreams they thought they had or, or naps actually turn out to be abduction experiences. So I don't know. I mean, I haven't been abducted though, Perry, and I'm kind of getting upset about it now. <laughs> it's a pandemic, well, I'll have, dude. <laughs> I'll have Jennifer come over. And, uh, well, you know, I've been having strange dreams because uh, I have sepsis right now, which is a, a blood infection. Okay. Back on July 2nd, I had a lump on the side of my hip that was killing me. Just, it was a lump. It looked like there was almost a golf ball sticking out of my right hip. Right on the end, and oh I could God. barely sleep. I went to a doctor, and they did an MRI and an X-ray, and they said there's a tumor growing out of the tendon, which is attaches attaches your leg bone to your hip. You know they're attached so that they don't slide apart. And they cut me open and they cut it off, but they didn't seal it well. And then about a week later, I went back in because it was swollen, and they cut it open, and they sealed it again, and it got infected again. Oh. And then the third time when I went back, they said, yeah, that, that from the smell, there's a blood infection, and they tested it, and they started changing my blood. Oh, my started God. And I was in there yesterday for another one, and so I've had two, three, four, five, six... I think yesterday was my sixth or seventh one. And right now, I'm about eight or 9% of my blood is my own. And the rest belongs to other people. Wow. So, hey, you like orgies, right? You're like a walking orgy right now. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm, I'm having sex with myself. And but the thing is, the doctor asked me if I had any strange dreams. Oh, and wow. I said, no, it's because a lot of people, when they get a lot of uh, infused blood, or what do you say, infused, there's another, another word for blood, I can't remember what it is. Uh, a lot of infused, which means put into you, um, that people have dreams, the memories of the thing. I said, are you trying to tell me that blood has a memory? Mm. Goes, well, I'm just asking. Because people have told me. And wow. And I've had a couple of weird dreams, but I've always had strange dreams. Me too. I have yeah. a lot of dreams about flying and stuff like that. And, and I have dreams about getting booked and getting paid and working in real clubs and not having to be on Zoom. They're all just dreams. Right <laughs> it's coming back, baby. It's coming back. I hope so. I'm, it, I'm doing these parking lot and park shows. Parking lot one's actually fun because it's it's all comics. Yeah, and yeah. I, I'm the I'm the old guy because I've been doing it for so long and I'm so much older. And so when I get up, I've always got different something different to say, and they'll they'll get out of their cars and come stand around. That's awesome. But I miss that stuff. 
I, I'm sure, dude. I'm sure. I've been running around on New York City. I was by Prometheus today at, Ro at Ro um, Rockefeller Center. I was just doing sets. You know, me and this other oh comic. We're just running around like, you know, because there's people there. We're, we're not really being confrontational. We're not doing crowd work necessarily because we don't want to bother people. But we're just trying to do some stuff. <laughs> I heard a lot of people doing that. They just walk up to crowds and say, "Hey, hi, my name's David." Ambush comedy. I mean, you know, we're we're really just trying to do it by, like, um, you know, sites, like, you know, um, so there's something cool in the background. Um, we did another statue, the Atlas statue, and then we did Trump Tower, which was pretty cool. Um, there was people out there with machine guns and stuff so i mean you know we're, we're doing what we can dude but it's it's tough out there man yeah it's and when you go to an open mic there's so many people that want to do comedy it's like 50 people there so i don't know it's it's well there was 40 the one night at the one mic i went to and it's just yeah it's, there's one here at they're doing at a place called the mink which is in santa monica which is a music venue and they've had comedy shows in there before, mm. years ago, and I've done a lot of them. And now I saw an ad last night that it says they're looking for people to do spots. Do you want to do an opening spot of three minutes or a middle spot of eight minutes? But there's nothing about a headliner. And then you fill out the form, and it says, how will you be getting to the audition? And the options are driving my own car, driving it somebody else. Uber, Lyft, taxi cab, bicycle, skates or skateboard or uh, electric scooter. And I'm going, <laughs> what it doesn't say anything about an audition. And this is outside. Wow. And so it says, that, send an email. So I sent an email saying, yeah, I'd like to do a spot. Here's where I am. I've got TV credits. Here's, here's videos of my 20 minutes of my comedy where I... I could not have been happier the way it went and haven't even heard back. And now I'm hearing about all these guys that are doing Zooms on the internet and charging people to be part of their Zooms. Uh, yeah. And the, the one who will remain nameless, who uh, only books people that are brand new, and then part of it is they have to take this, this private class for 45 hours for an hour. Yeah. And this is a guy who was on Last Comic Standing. And I wrote the guy because I know him. And he was always a jerk. Never really that funny. But he was an Asian on Last Comic Standing. Yeah. And he didn't win, but he became popular. And now he's asked one of the women from the chat that you're on regularly if she wants to host it. And she said that the other night he had 8,000 views yeah. on this live film he was doing. Yeah, so, I mean, people have their niches, right? Just like Bringer Show, you know, people have niches where they, you know, they do this comedy class, people have niches. So, I mean, if that's what you got to do, that's what you got to do. Use it as a tool. You know, well, that's I, what I'm doing. Right now, I'm doing online coaching. Yeah. Teaching private people. Yeah. But where the big money is, I'm doing training with organizations I have I've done two with two um, what were they antivirus and the other one was a networking company 
computer companies back in Maine and one down in Delaware. One we had about 80 people, the other one we only had 30. That's cool, great. I got 300 hours for 25 minutes, and then I got 250 for 30 on the other one, and basically, I'm just telling them, here's why things are funny, here's how to be funny, here's how to diffuse an argument, and here's how to use humor to sell. The thing about you're on the phone, and you're talking to your customer, and they're eating. What are you eating? Ha, 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 ha. And how to ask for the money. And these companies looked me up, and I got a reference from this other guy who sends companies to other companies to get work done. And I'm, I'm starting to book those. Uh, but my favorite thing is one-on-one teaching people. I have a woman who wants me to teach her daughters. They're uh, 11 and 9 years old. She does stand-up, and she wants me to teach her daughters how to do stand-up. She saw me do it out in the park here and was amazed how comfortable I was and yeah. that I was clean with her daughters there. And then her daughters got up and talked about their grandmother's vagina smell. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's always good to hear a nine-year-old say the word <laughs> vagina. <laughs> you know, I'm not surprised that corporate people are interested in um, trying to get their people to communicate through comedy. Um you know, I think it's just like anything else. When they practice it, you know, the more they practice, the better they'll get at it. Um, you know, that's how comedy is. But with comedy, you really have to have a passion for it, right? I mean, you know, you can you can tell people to do it all they want, but they have to... I think it's after you, you, you get that one good set and you hear people really laugh at your jokes. Um, I think right then you know if you got the comedy bug or not, right? <laughs> Well, I think that's going to happen to you eventually. Don't worry, that'll happen. <laughs> so, okay. So, this is a question I ask some people sometimes. So, if somebody met you and they said, Hey, Perry, I have the comedy bug. Is that a good thing? I tell them, yeah. <laughs> okay. All, all right. I've done, it is the best life in the world. Okay. If you can find work, there is nothing as pleasurable as getting up in front of a bunch of strangers and getting them to laugh at and with you. Okay. It, it's great. Um, give you an example. 1976 or 77, I went up to New York to, um, I don't remember whether it was Caroline's or Catch Rising Star. It was one of those two. And I met this guy named Jerry Seinfeld, who's headlining a comedy club. Now, he hadn't been on TV yet, but he was very personable, and we were talking in the lobby. And then they said, Perry, you're up. So I went up, and I did my eight minutes, and as I came off, he walks by, and he, like, hits my hand, you know, with an open hand hitting my open hand. He says, hang out in the lobby. So I go out there, and uh, when he's done, and I wait, and we go out there, and we're talking, and this gorgeous little blonde walks up to him, and she's rubbing his arm, and she says, you are so funny. We have to go out. And he goes, okay. You know, the way he stretches his words out. Yeah. And she writes her name and phone number on a napkin and gives it to him. And she goes in, he says, what am I going to do with this? I said, you'll call her, and you'll probably have sex with her. He goes, you really think so? I said, she gave you her name and phone number. That's an invitation. Well, the show's over. She comes out. She's being pulled by a guy as big as Shaq, a big black guy. 
and her arm is so it's way up over her head because the guy was so tall and she does the phone call motion at Jerry with the fingers, you know, three wow. middle fingers closed and then the thumb and little finger making the hand motion and she goes, call me. And this is typical Jerry. He looks at me and goes, I can't fill those shoes. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. Well, I've run into him a couple times and um, I ran into him, I guess it was about three, maybe four years ago at the Improv. I don't go there often, but once in a while I do. And he came up and he goes, oh, I remember you. We were hanging out. Blah, 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 blah. I said, what happened to you that girl? He said, I was afraid to call her. <laughs> I said, why? I thought I'd fall in. Uh, <laughs> um, wow. So nice. we were talking, me and some other guys. Um, uh, Don Marrero was standing there and I'm trying to remember who else. Uh, I can't remember. Anyway, somebody said to him, Jerry, why'd you give up the show? Because he was making a million dollars a week. He said, because I missed this. I missed the live stand-up. Yeah, you were just not, yeah. Like, I try to tell this to people. There's nothing that can compare with getting up and telling your life story or telling something that you've created and hearing the audience laugh with you. The warmth that you get from that is unbelievable. It, it's like, hard to I explain. Mean, yeah, if you could bottle it and sell it, you'd be a very rich man. Absolutely. Oh, my God. I never even thought of that concept. Yes. But yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you could smoke it, you know, <laughs> that's even worse. It never come down. <laughs> so, so I have an interesting story. The first time I ever did comedy, first time I was on a real stage, was a bringer about 20 years ago, give or take. And Jerry Seinfeld did a drop-in. So he went on two people before me. So, yeah. you know, I mean, that, it, back then it was pretty cool, man. You know, it's the first time I'm doing comedy, and all of a sudden there's Jerry Seinfeld. And, uh, yeah. But for me, that's the last time I saw him. <laughs> and probably the last time I'll ever see him. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, I hear he doesn't go out much anymore. <laughs> no wife and kids and that shit. No, nah, it's cool. It's cool. I don't do... And, you know, the show's still in syndication, so he's still got more money than he'll ever need. Dude, at this point, man, I'm I, I'm dying to see anybody, man. I'm ready to fly to L.A. right now just to see you, man. <laughs> just to go in the parking lot with you, man. I mean, it's... it's. Well, I work with so many people. I know. I mean, when I, I started in Philadelphia, um, the, the big name that came out of Philly was a guy named Todd Glass. And he was getting started then. And then in 79, I moved to San Francisco and was working at this little corner bar and I met this guy named Robin Williams. Yes, there's that, there's that famous out. picture. If you go to Perry's website um, or if you go to Facebook, he's got a famous picture. It's a flyer. Is, is, is it like a flyer? It's just like a famous picture with Perry, Robin Williams and all these people. Harry Anderson, Gary Muldeer, who's still working. And in the front, a comic named Kevin Pollock. And then there's also a comic. Kevin Pollock, who had a movie career. He was in um, A Few Good Men, Kevin Pollock. Yeah. Yeah. And Harry Anderson was from the show. Night Court. uh, Night Court. Night Court. Yeah. I loved Night Court when I was a kid, dude. Loved it. And and Marty Cohen was the host of Solid Gold back in the uh, (laughs) year. Solid Gold, baby. Wow. Yep. 
And I was the host of that show, and it was Robin's birthday party. So uh, me and Robin got close, and there was a club called the Holy City Zoo, which was our home club. It was a small place called the Holy City Zoo. It was made entirely out of the wood from a church in San Diego called the Holy City Church. Somebody bought it, took all the wood up, and, and built this club, built the stage, built the bar, built the floors, built the walls, the ceilings, even the tables. Wow, cool. Everything was made out of this wood, this dark wood, and it was a magical place, and Robin was discovered there as a bartender. Now, in 75, maybe 76, I went to San Francisco just to check it out, and I started wearing suspenders shit while I was still in art school, so that was like in the early 70s, I started wearing suspenders. So I go to San Francisco and I meet this guy, Robin, and he's wearing a bright flower shirt. He goes, I love your suspenders. Wow. And then I saw him the next night and he had on suspenders. <laughs> and he started wearing suspenders. <laughs> well, Robin was a big pot smoker. And yes. I was a big pot smoker. And so Robin and I became good friends and I was hosting the Tuesday and Thursday open mics at the Holy City Zoo. And Robin would come in just as the show would start, and him and I would do an hour to an hour and a half of improv together. Mm. And when he would do big shows like the Great American Music Ball, which was a, a 700 seat room, he would invite me and they would give us each 100 foot chords, and we would go into the audience and just break into these wild characters. So mm. I became friends with him. And then um, I got a job as the MC at the male strip show. Wow. And I became a male stripper. I was the manager. Perry, <laughs> uh, was there funny the business MC. going on there? Was there funny business? Oh, my God. <laughs> Beyond belief. Beyond belief how much it was. This is before AIDS. And this is an amphitheater seating. It was before AIDS? Oh, oh my God. This is on Broadway in San Francisco. This is the only male strip show for women <laughs> in the city where there were nine women for every straight man. Wow. And I was the host. <laughs> and so I'd be up there talking dirty to the ladies. There's a picture of me on my website. And, some of the guys uh, were probably gay, though, right? You know some of the male strippers? Only one. Only one. Okay. And I, I we called him Prince George. Prince and he George. had a dress very gay because he was a flamer, a little tiny guy. <laughs> But he would do he would do handsprings and stuff like that. But I wanted to make sure that nobody got jerked around. So the way it worked is on the ground floor where the bathrooms were underneath the building was on the top of the hill uh, where it leveled off Broadway, and it went sideways downstairs. We had ten rooms with ten king size beds, and if women would come in and they would want to have sex with one of the dancers or as I called them, my men, I would take them down to my office and make sure the uh, the poontang was good enough for my boys. <laughs> they had to audition for the for the manager. <laughs> exactly. Dude, that, I, that was some crony shit, man. You can't do stuff like uh, that anymore. <laughs> you know, the club was owned by the mafia. Whoa. Uh, I was getting paid $3,000 a week. Wow. My apartment.
apartment rent was six twenty five a month for a three bedroom apartment, and I had two other women living there, and they each paid four hundred dollars a piece. <laughs> yeah, cause you gotta and, pay, right? You can't just. <laughs> you still gotta pay. Wow. Right. Well, I bought. I had was making so much money. I bought a twenty. I bought a twenty-eight thousand dollar Harley Softail for twenty-two thousand dollars cash. Oh, you told me that was the one, and it kept. They kept stealing it or something, right? They kept messing with it. Right. They kept stealing Harley. Yeah. So. And, and they took the front, was, the front wheel. You said right. Yeah, they took the front wheel. So because I ran a major club, and it was owned by the family, as we called it, we could say mafioso. My name's um, Anthony. Go I, ahead, say it. All right, go ahead. <laughs> I had I had the option of having dinner at the family table at Enrico's, which was a fancy restaurant on Broadway with an outside hood, uh, outside table. It was a twelve foot white marble table, uh, and all the club owners and members of the family. And celebrity would eat there, and I had dinner with Bill Cosby about once a month. You were and saying that, um, yes, so, you were saying him and um, Rodney, right? You'd have you you'd meet with them. I met Rodney. I met Rodney Dangerfield through him, and there was a guy named uh, uh, Professor Irwin Corey back in those days. He was a crazy scientist who did comedy. He was a nervous wreck, but he always talked about science. But the mm. joke I wrote about Bill Cosby is I said, I know they, they say about Bill. And the fact is he was very um, short with the waiters or waitresses. Yeah, I heard he was, he was kind of, I always heard that, that he was people. an asshole. I heard he was an asshole. Yeah. Yep. And I never even thought about it. I just thought, well, you know, he's a big star. I guess he could do that. But the joke that I wrote is I know what they say about Bill, but I don't know what happened. All I know is that one time I was having dinner with him. And I fell asleep. And when I woke up, there was a cigar in my mouth. <laughs> well, I think it was a cigar, but I fell back to sleep. <laughs> but through Bill, and I guess I had dinner with him for almost a year and a half every month. He was, he was bringing in these amazing Cuban cigars. They were like 18 inches long. And, and they, they were just, I mean, it, ugh in this wooden box that weighed 20 pounds. Let, just unbelievable. Let me tell you, not just for nothing, dude. Me. Not for nothing. I was a big Bill Cosby fan. Himself? So was I. His comedy I album? His comedy album, Himself, was a big inspiration uh-huh. to me, man. I fucking... I love that. Same I love that album. I went to see him live in Philadelphia, and he called me out. <laughs> mm. Didn't I have dinner with you? <laughs> and uh, so through him I met Rodney and Rodney was flying me to New York to work Dangerfields three to four times a year and that was paying it started out at 2600 by the last time I worked there which I think was um, eight years later I was making 3200 hours a week and that was being there from Tuesday to Saturday night now, now I heard I heard about Rodney Dangerfield. Some people told me that I've heard people say that he was kind of a tortured guy. He was never truly like happy, happy. Um, I will say that's that's pretty accurate. Okay. Yeah, the drugs definitely took it off. Um, he had a career before as J 
Jack Roy, he was a comedian, and it failed. Yeah. Never went anywhere. And then he started doing comedy again, and somebody heckled him, and he turned into this, this character, Rodney. And so a bunch of the comics got together, and they wrote his first act. And yeah. he turned around, he played Dice. Dice, Andrew Dice Clay, I used remember. to be an impressionist. He used to do uh, Billy Joel and Sylvester Stallone, and I forget who else it was. And one time, he was at the comedy store doing Sylvester Stallone, and somebody heckled him. And he was already in that character. And he did like, yeah, you, you're so stupid. You're, you think you're really, you're, you're pretty sick. You're so stupid, one, you suck my dick. And he made a rhyme. And then a bunch of us got together and wrote the beginning of his act. And over the years, comics have given him jokes. And it was the same thing. It started from a heckle. Yeah, I, yeah I remember Rodney Dangerfield. I remember the first time I saw Andrew Dice Clay was on a Rodney Dangerfield special. I remember that. And yeah. that that was the big one. That was the big one, you know. When 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 I first heard all the the, I was a little kid though. I was a little kid, so I mean it, it was funny. It really was. So. Yeah, but uh, Rodney was always high. Here's a Rodney story. I was working at the club, and when I get up to perform, because of all my improv experience, I really. I, it's not working the, re, the room. I don't get up and ask them where they're from and who's married and shit like that. But I respond to what they do. Yeah. And I give them their own show and they see that I am responding and that gets them more enthused. Absolutely. Well, I, I did like, I think I did a little over an hour that night. And I talked about when we went out to eat some, some restaurant down the street and it was supposedly really good corned beef. And I said, you know, it felt like eating shoe leather with the foot still in there. Something like that. <laughs> and I don't know where it came from. It just, it came out. So Jack, his real name is Jack Roy. I just call him Jack. Calls me over and says, hey, Perk, this is my friend. This is Danny. He's going to write for me. I said, great, Danny. How you doing? He says, yeah, he's going to write for me. He gets me. I looked at him and said, Jack, how hard it is to get you. It's the same fucking joke with different words. He goes, shut up. He said, right, we're going outside to smoke a joint. So we go out to the alleyways. Now, you know the alleyways in New York. It's, there's dumpsters on one side, dumpsters on the other side, and room for one car to get down. And then right in the middle is the little gully where the dirty water is from the, the stuff draining out of the sinks of the bars and shit. So we're out there, Jack pulls out a joint, lights it up, gives it to the kid, says, you know what, I gotta pee, and he starts peeing on a dumpster. Danny gives me the joint, I take a hit, and I start to pee on the dumpster. I give it back to the kid, the kid puts, takes a hit, puts the joint down, takes his dick out, starts to pee, looks at me and he goes, with the biggest smile I've ever seen, he goes, this is the best day of my life. <laughs> wow, all right. So that shows you what perspective is. In other words, different things mean different things to Absolutely. different people yes. at different times. And at that moment, his realization is that not only is he writing the rush, he's so comfortable he's taking a leap with him. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's cool. Absolutely. So that's. But Rodney actually used to date my mother's best friend when he was Jack Roy. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, she went to see him in Atlantic City when he was already Rodney. And she's a, she was a tall, very attractive woman. It was Big Anita and Little Anita. Yeah. And was, my mother was Little Anita, and she had a friend who was Big Anita. My mother was 4'10", and Big Anita was like 5'10". And Flora was like 5'9". And in those days, they had their hair way up on their head, you know, the big flipped over, flopped over, flipped up. Yeah, yeah. And He's watching Rodney, and Rodney goes, wait a minute, Flora, Flora, didn't I fuck you in 48? <laughs> yeah, I, dude, I'm a big Rodney fan too, man. I mean, Bill Cosby and Rodney, those are two of my favorite. Con- it, it really is terrible at the Bill Cosby thing, man. I, You know, I'm, I mean, so many people got hurt. I don't really like to, like to talk about it too much, but man... You know? Well, it's the old phrase that uh, ultimate power corrupts ultimately. And um, I have a theory on that. It, it, you look at the rich people, the really, really rich people, that they're generally not nice to poor people, that they're generally rude, and that they're extremely decadent. Because all the regular things we do, they get bored doing, so they create other things. And they get very, very kinky. A lot yeah. of rich people have like harnesses in their house and and, and sawhorses where they tie their wives over there uh, because of it. Yeah, and they get they get very arrogant towards the the non entitled people because they really think they're entitled because they got so much money, whether they earned it or they got it from their family. Yeah. they really think they're better than everybody else. So. That's what happened in Rome. Rome had so much money, and they got so kinky that they were doing so many weird things that one guy decided, you know what? I'm going to have sex with a man. And suddenly all these other guys are having sex with a man. (laughs) If you go back and you look at drawings and hieroglyphs and stuff like that, you will see that homosexuality started back in Rome. Mm. And there's none of that before that period. So, so and they weren't they weren't just doing the arms routine either. So, so I'm with you on on you know um, you know you get a lot of money you start running out of shit to do. Personally, I, I don't know. I haven't had money my whole life, so if I had money, I'd be fine. Um, yeah. But and and but me personally, I think if you're like drugging people and raping them, I don't. I think you were always a sick fuck. You know, I don't think that that's something. And I'm listen. I'm not taking any high roads here. It's just my own opinion. But I think, like you know, if that's what you're into, like like drugging people and re- I, I I think you're always a sick fuck like that. You know, I don't think that's something. I don't think they start that way. I think that what happens is they run out of things to do, and they say, you know what, we got so much money, <laughs> we can pay the police off and we can get away with murder. And so they start doing it because they have so much money. Really? And you always hear I don't know. about the wealthy people paying off the top. That's very, very common. Yeah, I'm with you. But, I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm sure there's a lot of wealthy people that just go on yachts and have parties. Yeah, I'm sure and, there are. You know? There's a small percentage that are doing this weird sick shit and hurting people, knowing that with the money they have, they're not going to jump. Look the Lori Laughlin shit. All this stuff about trying to get their kids into college 
and paying uh, half a million dollars. Well, now Lori Laughlin and her super million, multi-million dollar husband, they're going to jail because they tried to pay somebody off to keep it hush up. So, hush, hush. so now that, but that's that's understandable. Rich people trying to get use their money to advance them in society. That I can understand. But when you're like raping people and having sex with children and stuff, I, I don't think you just catch that from being rich. I think that was always in you and you were serious. You're just sick. Well, again, I'm talking about a very minimal amount of those people. But yeah, I yeah, no, you are. I, I, I'm with you. Yeah. You know, the 1% yeah. that says, you know what? Let's throw a party. You know, she's cute. You got any of those pills? Give it to her. <laughs> and then if she tells anybody, we'll give them $1,000 to shut up. So they don't start out saying, we're going to rape and kill and drug people. Okay. And they pay it off. They do it. And then they realize that they have the money to get out of it. I don't know, man. I don't know, dude. I've been to a lot of. I've been to been to Europe thirteen times. I've I've been to a lot of casinos what? and shit. I can I you know I can I can find a lot of things to do, man. I don't have to rape anybody or diddle any kids. <laughs> wow, you've been to Europe thirteen times. Yeah, man, thirteen. <laughs> I counted How did you them. Do that? <laughs> when it was cool to go before the Euro, man. I went a few times with the Euro. I used to go to oh, Amsterdam. I used to go to Amsterdam a lot when I was younger. I used to like it. How did you swing that? Huh? How could you afford that? Oh, it was it was cheap. Years ago, it was cheap. I used to go in the cold months. I used to go for the Cannabis Cup, and I'd go on Thanksgiving when nobody wanted to go. So, you know, wow. was, yeah, yeah, so, you know, um, but I'm saying is, like, I've, I've seen some stuff, and man... You know, I just, it's hard for me to imagine that you just get so much money that, you know, I, and I guess that's, that's what makes it secret, right? That's what makes these people like clandestine. Well, I think that's what Cosby did. He paid people off to shut up for so many years that eventually somebody didn't shut up and then somebody else didn't shut up and then other people came forward. Somebody said he's doing, he's having fun in jail. Somebody said he's like. He, he said he's having a good time or something. I don't know. I don't know. But um, anyway, so so, what do you think? We're going to wrap up in a second. Um, what do you think uh, about like some of the urban led? What do you think about Bigfoot? Let me get let me get your take on Bigfoot. On who? Bigfoot? Bigfoot. All right. Well, she also had big tits. <laughs> if we're talking about the same person. <laughs> Do you, I mean, do you really think, you know, do you think there's a Bigfoot? They're saying he's interdimensional. I know. don't know about that. But the way humans and all other mammals develop, I wouldn't doubt that there's a possibility of some derivation of the Homo sapien that could be that way. That possibly... Someone did have sex with a monkey and the sperm actually reproduced. You know, I don't know. Ancient as aliens is saying... Interdimensional, I don't, I don't know if... Interdimensional is, is... That's one of the things that I have trouble accepting. They call them ultra-terrestrials. Ultra-terrestrials. Extraterrestrial because means from another world. Ultra-terrestrial means from a different dimension. 
Right. In other words, we're all occupying the same space, but in different dimensions. That's the that's one I just I don't know about that one. I'm not saying I don't believe, but I'm not a hundred percent on that one. Yeah, I've well, never seen anything that's said to me. Well, this seems like solid proof. Well, you know, this is what happens, Perry. When you start looking into these things, dude. <laughs> You start finding out there's a lot of holes. And that's yeah. why I'm telling you, man, there's a good chance that there's no fucking aliens. Yeah. There's a good there's a good chance that there's no space aliens. What they're saying, what I heard a, a pretty credible scientist say about dimensions is that there could be, but they're so they're like micro microscopic. That they're really small. So I don't I don't know. You know, I think a lot of this stuff, people get information and then they run with it. But yeah. the, so, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I like the truth, man. You know, I, I, um, I like living by the truth. Of my, I have kids and stuff like that. I mean, I like to joke around, but, um, but you know, if you're gonna tell your kids that there's, you know, that that there's an interdimensional Bigfoot, I mean, I don't, I don't. No, I I wouldn't do that. I've got I have four children all together, so I, I I married a woman that had three kids just to be their father. Yes, I remember you telling me that. Uh, yeah, and you were telling me some of the stuff you've gone through with your with your ex, and um, that was pretty interesting stuff too. I think we're gonna save that for the next podcast, though. <laughs> the next the next painful podcast. <laughs> but I think we're gonna wrap up what. Harry's, we'll call it the PPP, Harry's Painful Podcast. <laughs> no, nah, man, this has been great, dude. I had to track you down. You were like, the one time you're like, I'm sorry, man. I had a I had a blood transfusion. I was seeing dots. <laughs> I was like. Oh, yeah. Yesterday, they um, on Thursday, they gave me a little needle that I have to stick into my hip, into the incisions where it's all sewed up. I pull the bandage back. And they put it. They actually drew an X where I supposed to put this in at a certain <laughs> angle, so it goes into the artery. They wanted to mix in with the blood going up to the heart, oh rather than or rather blood coming out of the heart, rather than blood going back. Veins is the blood that's been used, so I'm supposed to stick it into the artery, which is fresh blood, so they can go out and kill it's called septum, and that's supposed to kill the infection. Well. Yesterday, I stuck it in. I was sitting on my bed, and out of nowhere, I just coughed, and I broke this fucking half-inch needle off in my fucking hip. Oh my god! <laughs> Holy! And I didn't shit. know what to do, so I just I went and grabbed the needle nose pliers. I aimed a flashlight. I pulled it open, and blood just starts squirting all over the room. And I grabbed it and I pulled it out. And I went and got a kitchen sponge and put that over the hole in my leg and I duct taped it down and then I went to the hospital. Oh my, dude, I'm seeing dots right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I was seeing, I was, you have no idea what it's like when you got blood burning out of your leg. How are you today? Are, are you feeling okay today? I mean, we just did a, a pretty yeah. long podcast, so you sound like you're yeah, feeling pretty good. Yeah, I'm fine. I mean... I, I woke up at the crack of three today, which is early for me. Um, I'm sleeping a lot better. Uh, I think probably because um, the blood has been cleansed a lot. Awesome. I'm sleeping a lot better. Uh, I'm not getting up to be a million times, which 
they said in the beginning, they said, you're going to pee a lot. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's coming out slowly, but I'm feeling a lot better. I mean, I am dying to get somewhere and do a set. Well, tomorrow we'll be doing a set in Griffith hmm. Park, and then Saturday at another parking lot. And, of course, I'll be on the Zoom with everybody tonight. Okay, and that's the next thing I was going to do. I was going to ask you to plug. Why don't you give your plugs? What You're, you're doing a, a tutoring, a, like a, a mentoring thing? Yes, I teach people to understand what's funny and why is it funny so that they can be funny in their lives. People that are funny are seemed more interesting to other people. So if you suddenly become funny, your friends are going to give you a lot more attention. Also, you will communicate better because you want, you, you'll learn how to use the language in a different way. By making people laugh, they give you more attention. So I'm teaching people one-on-one classes. I'm teaching companies uh, because of Zoom, I can do, uh, I forget, like 100 windows, as many people as they can squeeze in. And if it gets big enough, I can buy a corporate one. So I'm working with companies, uh, HR, because human resources, people usually have yes. to deal with very unhappy employees. Oh, yes. So I teach them how to diffuse the anger <laughs> by making a joke. And then they listen to you and you talk them into it. And I'm working with um, a lot of the activity directors and some of the senior companies doing big big ones for them where they're in like 30 different locations. So, so, so I'm so really not just trying to... You're come te- up with some money to pay my bills. You're teaching people how to how to get fired with a joke. <laughs> well, no, I'm teaching people that are that do the firing. Firing, how to fire with a joke. Yes, that's what I meant. Yeah. Well, how to keep people happy so that people don't get fired. But I, I know. Teach I know. Them how to do it within reason? How to know when you're pissing people awesome. off? Awesome. So, so how can people, people get a hold of you? How can people fun. get a hold of you if they want this service? They can go to. Uh, Currifunny.com, P-E-R-R-Y-F-U-N-N-Y.com, which will also take them to currycurts.com. And that's my regular website. So one day they're going to see a lot of adult material. But if they're looking for the trainings and they're looking for clean stuff that they can share with their bosses or their family or their company, they need to go to vintageentertainment.us. All right. Wow. And that's written in one word. There's two E's in the middle. And they can always reach me. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on everything is Perry Kurtz. Follow me on Facebook. Uh, follow me on Instagram. And if they need to contact me directly, it's Perry Kurtz at Gmail. Yes, and Everyone's let me... Perry and let me follow that up with... Uh, let me t- I see this guy in chat rooms talking to people that he doesn't even know. And he just makes everybody die he just takes every situation and he makes it funny so um you know i definitely believe this is probably a great service and contact him immediately yeah or when you can yes yes all right perry well we're gonna get going but um i i'd like to have you on again sometime i mean you can listen to this maybe if you want to be on again Uh, I probably won't listen. I, I remember everything I said. I'm not good with listening. I'm not good with listening <laughs> no comics listen. Nobody listens no. that comes on because we all fucking hate ourselves. <laughs> no, because we, all, we what happens is when we watch or we listen, 
we hear one word that was wrong, and it becomes the most horrible thing in our lives. So even you now, know? Perry? Even now? Yeah. Yeah. Like instead, you say, I will contact you to connect with you. When you say, I should have said, I can contact you. Or oh even, you know, we, just, we are so critical of ourselves. So, so very, when somebody says they get the comedy bug, then why is it good? <laughs> because there's, uh, oh, that was the end result. Why did uh, Seinfeld give up the show? And he said to me, why did you give up a million dollars a week? He said, because the warmth I get from doing a live show is incomparable to anything else I've ever known. Wow. Okay. All right. And to have it come from Seinfeld, who's a pretty established act, so, so he gave up a million a week to go back to live stand-up. So do you think, and I'm sure that he has nights it doesn't go well, so do you think he still tortures himself about stuff or no? Um, he told me that he doesn't really care okay. now because he's a celebrity. Yeah, he's and so people big. will laugh at a celebrity whether you're funny or not just because they've seen you on TV. Oh, so There's he doesn't know either. They're okay. on sitcoms or they're in movies and they suddenly become comedians and they're marginally funny. But everybody laughs and they all applaud because he's a celebrity. Gotcha. Okay. So a lot of it is that celebrity power makes you a lot more interesting to people. Wow, cool, cool. All right, man, listen, thank you so much for your insight, Perry. Oh, you know, one other thing. If they want to see what I do, go to my YouTube page, which is called Perry Kurtz. The first thing you will see will be my episode on The Late Late Show with James Gordon. Yes, very And fun. that, in total, they told me that has been seen by 43 million people worldwide. They're still showing that one clip in Europe and still getting money for it. That's I still great. get checked, and that was on two years ago. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, we're definitely uh, definitely going to keep in touch. Uh, Perry Kurtz, we'll talk to you soon, man. All right. You take care of yourself. Thanks again for this wonderful opportunity. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure they're going to be knocking on my door any minute. <laughs> Thanks, man. Well, Thanks, brother. I'll talk police, to you soon. The police will be knocking on my door. Come on, let's go. <laughs> All right, dude. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye. All right. All right, everybody. Perry Kurtz. Wow. He's got so many stories. He's such a nice dude. Um, I could sit here and talk to him for hours. Um, we're definitely going to have him on again. And, you know, I'd like to thank him one more time, Perry Kurtz. My name's Anthony Quinn. This has been Quinnspiracy. Have a good night. Cheers.